Support for Connecticut East this week comes from Nutmeg Pharmacy, fast, friendly, convenient, local independent pharmacies that are there for you at nutmegpharmacy.com. And Healing Therapies Through Sharing, offering bodywork modalities for those facing the challenges of a cancer diagnosis and treatment at healingtherapiesct.org. They've been around for 150 years, providing financial support to local people and businesses. We talked to Jewett City Savings Bank on their milestone birthday and what the future holds for them and the banking industry. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Banking, like so many other industries, is continuing to go through massive changes. Although we may still use cash and checkbooks, these are slowly being replaced with more technological ways to receive and send money and pay for things from our utility bills to that morning coffee with our smart devices and phone apps. But it seems not all is lost or completely changing for one local bank who is celebrating 150 years in business and still going strong. I sat down with Michael Alberts, CEO and President, and Diana Rose, Senior Vice President of Jewett City Savings Bank, for a catch-up on all things financial. You're both welcome. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Brian. So 150 years old this year, the institution. Michael, tell us a little bit about it, because that's a phenomenal anniversary to be celebrating and obviously to continue to be doing business in the state of Connecticut. It is, Brian. We started in 1873 as an institution that was really dedicated to serving a very different clientele than we serve today. There really was very little banking presence in eastern Connecticut at that time. There were some banks and some of the larger communities like Norwich and Putnam and in New London, but there really was not a facility like Jewett City Savings Bank available. So the local residents got together, they petitioned the General Assembly, which met in Hartford and granted a charter for the founding of the bank. And ever since then, we've been working to do our best to give everyone an opportunity to thrive in Eastern Connecticut. Now, you're a mutual savings bank. Is that something special? It is. As a mutual savings bank, it means that we don't have stockholders. Essentially, the depositors are our primary focus and our customers and owners of the institution. So we cannot be bought or sold as a stock would on an exchange. And that gives us a lot of independence. It means that we're not subject to some of the restrictions that stock banks have to always earn a profit and then share in part that profit with their stockholders. As a result, we're able to take the earnings that we achieve and invest it both back into the bank and invest it into the community. Uh, both in outright uh, gifts and also in gifts to our Jewett City Savings Bank Foundation. That's quite a nice thing to hear because it's so unusual these days to come across financial institutions which don't have like stakeholders who they have to answer to. And to be able to know that, you know, nobody can buy you, that puts you into like probably into like the elite group of 
financial institutions because we've seen so many of the banks here in Connecticut across the state slowly being eaten up by the big conglomerates. We have, you know, now nationwide, there are less than 5,000 independent banks that are out there that are looking to serve their various clientele. And that number is has been reduced from more than 10,000 less than 15 years ago. So the consolidation in the industry is very real. And it's a result of a lot of different factors. One is competition from uh, non-traditional sources, but also the need for us as bankers to become more efficient is very, very critical. So we're always looking for new ways to do things and to become more efficient in the delivery of products and services to our customers. Another question, obviously, about banking sort of like industry. How competitive has it become now and how challenging has it also become? Because, we, you know, you've just touched upon about the fact that, you know, you're in this slight enviable position that obviously you still have to make money, of course, as as a business. But, um, you know, you do have that protection being the mutual. But I mean, I'm guessing there's still challenges to get customers and businesses to come to your organization. Every day, Brian, is an effort to remain relevant. We have to make a claim to getting the trust and confidence of our customers, whether they're individuals that are opening up a regular deposit account at one of our offices, or whether they're a commercial loan customer or a prospective customer, we have to reach out and make sure that they understand that, you know, that we believe that we can deliver value to them. And then we have to deliver it. So there are a lot of new competitors in the form of fintech organizations that have eaten away at the basic core of what many banks do. So for example, on the consumer mortgage side, the residential mortgage side, there are many people who really look first to some organizations to get their exposure to a mortgage. And we have to make sure that we let them know that you know we are a viable option and that we can service their needs uh, better than those other organizations can. The other thing, I suppose, which is a strength of an organization like yours is, of course, the obvious word local. You are local to the people who want the money, be it for, as you say, for mortgages or for businesses, as against these sort of like faceless organizations, which, as you say, they are numerous, but needless to say, are still faceless. They don't know these people. You know, they could be somewhere else, obviously, in the country. So that must be a still a very powerful tool for you as a local bank is that you know the people that you're actually having as customers. Or, or wishing to give services to? We do know them. And one of the ways we know them is uh, not only in meeting with them face-to-face, but we're very active in the communities that we serve. We're very active in the nonprofit organizations. And actually, Diana, it's probably a good segue for you to talk about some of those things that we do, both through the foundation and directly. Oh, sure, Mike. So in 20 years ago, the bank founded an independent charitable foundation. And Through donations, the bank is able to transfer assets to the foundation. And then annually, we provide grants to local nonprofit organizations that serve residents within our market area. And a lot of those recipients are the local food pantries, the libraries, a lot of organizations that serve residents across the board and a lot of residents in need. And those are the types of organizations that we focus on. And in addition to that, we have a lot of our employees who actually donate their own time on the weekends or after work and actually volunteer with a lot of these organizations. And we participate in community events. So not only can you see us in the branch when you're doing your transaction, but you can see us at the local festival handing out 
you know, freebies to everybody who comes by and playing games with kids and having craft activities for families. And those are just some of the things that we do that you won't see some of the big national and mega banks do. Dinah, I want to stay with you as well, because I know you've been with the bank for quite a length of time. Your career spans a number of years. What sort of have been some of the biggest changes that you would say you've seen over the time that you've been there and continue to obviously be at uh, Jewett City? Savings Bank? I started out in the branches, but I've spent most of my career in the operations area. And I can honestly say that the speed of innovation with technology has been astounding in in the last even 20 years, 30 years. When I started here, we worked on an adding machine and one little computer that was basically just looked like a TV screen so we could look up customer information. But everything was very manual where, you know, today we have fully integrated computer systems and networks and, you know, we can offer our customers everything the big banks can offer. We have online banking, we have bill pay, we have soon, we will soon have digital wallets. But I have to say it's the speed of technology and the changes and it just seems to be getting faster, which I also feel has led to different customer expectations because they're, they expect you to have what the big banks have. Not that they need all the bells and whistles, but they still want to know that you have them just in case they need them later. So yeah, so it's a challenge for a small company to keep up with some of the some of the big banks. And I'm guessing, and you sort of alluded to it in your answer, that uh, different people have different uh, like requirements from the bank. Is it a case of, you know, some of the older customers, you know, still like to come into the bank, obviously interface with members of staff and do their transactions? face-to-face where maybe some of the younger people like to use the apps and do their stuff a little bit more remotely. And what are you sort of like seeing, you know, in your customer and your business demographic when it comes to their wants and their needs for services? Absolutely. You kind of hit the nail on the head there. So our older customers. And because we're a savings bank, we we do have a large customer base that's more mature. They do prefer to come into a branch and look at you face to face and handle their financial you know, transactions and questions with a person that they know and that they trust. So that's, I think, one of the areas where we, we provide exceptional customer service and being lo- local is an advantage. On the other hand, we do have to invest in the technologies that the younger demographics are looking for because if we don't have it, they will go somewhere else and we have to capture that customer base too. We have to remain relevant so that we can survive for the next 150 years. And what about some of the businesses as well? Because I'm guessing they've got, you know, so like different wants and needs these days as well, because, you know, maybe not only from their requirement of a financial institution, but because, you know, their own customers are saying to them, oh, can you do this? Can you do this? So, you know, do you see your businesses being quite demanding as well about, you know, what it is they want from you? Yeah, we do. And it's it's almost the same thing. They know that at the big banks, there are certain features and functions available And I think sometimes there's this misconception that because we're a small bank that we can't offer some of those more sophisticated services, but it's actually not the case. We have really developed our line of commercial products and services, not only on the commercial lending side, but also on the commercial deposit and cash management side. And we now handle a number of very large commercial 
customers in our market area. And I think they're pleasantly surprised by the level of service that we're able to provide to them. I was going to say, I mean, obviously, we're not going to get you to name your customers because that's privileged information. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, although you are a local bank dealing with these local organizations, I think many people forget that we have some really big companies, you know, dotted all around Eastern Connecticut. And of course, they need banking and financial services. They do, Brian. And I would add to Diana's comments that one of the things that gives us a, a lot of strength and really sets us apart from other financial institutions is that a bank of our size, I can actually go out as the president and CEO and meet with our senior commercial loan officer and our chief credit officer. And we can be face to face with the owner of a business or be with the CFO of an enterprise in a way that the bigger banks just can't provide that level of exposure. And you, it's very, very telling when a community bank presence can be made like that. And you can see that our customers or prospective customers really get the difference. They really understand at that point that we can bring to bear you know, all of the products and services that Diana was mentioning in a way that other folks at much larger institutions can't deliver. They just can't deliver that access to the highest level of leadership in the organization. And does that mean obviously a lot to you as well, Mike, as obviously the president and CEO, you know, to have that ability to get out and, and about and, and interface, you know, uh, uh, more directly with your customers? Well, it does. I think that uh, most of the senior management team actually enjoys it when I'm out of the bank um, meeting with customers. I have been a commercial loan officer for most of my career. So I, I really enjoy getting out, meeting customers, uh, learning what the businesses are all about, looking for ways that we can help those companies grow. Those companies all employ individuals. We want them to succeed, the companies to succeed, because it means that you know their individual employees are succeeding as well. And we really are committed to doing all that we can to take the deposits that we accumulate in our local communities and get them back out in the form of good loans to our customers. Let me put this question to both of you. I'll start with Diana. As we said, 150 years old is is the institution. You've been there for a number of years. What gets you up? What keeps you going every day and, and wanting to do this? I think for me, it's that every day is different because we're a small institution. We all wear many different hats. We all sit on many different committees to, you know, get the job done. So every day is almost something new and different. And, you know, it keeps it fresh. It keeps it interesting. There's always something new to learn. There's always a new project to work on. So I think that's what does it for me. Because again, being in operations and, and having a more tech background, I've seen a lot of changes, but I've gotten to implement a lot of changes and, be, and, and been a part of our growth. So that's, that's why I'm still here almost 40 years later. Over my past 35 years, I really have been blessed to have worked with many good groups of employees at different institutions. But I do have to say that the team that I work with at Jewett City Savings Bank, Brian, is really the best team that I've worked with in my career. We have a very strong, top-notch group of people that are very committed to the ideals of what mutual banking is all about. They get it. They understand that you know we have a need to serve our community and we can do it in a way that other banks can't do. So it really is sort of a virtuous cycle if you think about it. I mean, we make good loans. Customers pay us back. We take some of those profits. We reinvest it into the bank in, in the form of expansion. And we have expanded the bank with uh, two new branches over the past four years. And we also reinvest in our foundation. The foundation money goes back into the community. And so 
you know, people really have the benefit of knowing that our commitment to the community is really multifaceted. It's to the companies, it's to the individuals that live in the area, it's to the nonprofit organizations, it's to the first responders who often are the beneficiary of um, our grants. So we give a lot of money to fire departments, to the different ambulance corps, to food pantries. You know, we really are committed to that. That's not just something we put down on a piece of paper. It's really the creed that we live by. And our board of directors are business owners and professionals that are in the community. And they're just as committed for us to remain independent as we are. If I think I heard you right, you said you'd opened up a couple of branches recently. If that, if I did hear you correctly, that's unusual as well, because we, we, we're we always hearing about banks closing branches down. Tell us about that. You know, that's actually against the grain, as it were, which is good to hear. It is. It is kind of against the grain in this uh, industry, but we think that there is a real gap for organizations like us. There's a real need for that. So over the past several years, we've opened up new branches in the Pocketuck section of Stonington and in Putnam as well. And as we speak, we actually are looking to discuss another potential location as well. That would be the eighth branch of the bank. There are a lot of different things that we do, but the branch presence is important. It is important that we go out and make a statement to the communities that we are there, that we're accessible. Certainly through all of the mobile technology means that are there through online banking, through mobile banking, but also, you know, that we are accessible uh, in person to the individual that wants to go out and make a deposit, wants to meet and have a consultation with one of our employees in one of our branches. And actually, one of the major initiatives we're working on right now, Brian, is a renovation of our Brooklyn office. And that's a project that Diana is spearheading for the bank. Tell us about that, Diana. Sure. So we launched a new, it was somewhat of a new concept, at least on in New England of redesigning traditional bank branch lobbies. So we are eliminating the old-fashioned teller line that, you know, you'd walk in and that was front and center in the bank and you'd wait in line and you'd stand in a window to have your transactions done. And if you needed anything more than to cash a check, you had to go and sit with someone to open a new account or deposit to an IRA or ask a question. So we're moving to more floating workstations. So it's more of a like a, it's a desk. It's a more personal transaction zone and you get to sit with that person and that person is more of a universal banker. So they can cash that check for you. They can make your IRA contribution for you. They can talk with you about any issue, problem, question that you have about your finances and your accounts. So there's no more handing off of a customer from one employee to another employee who only specializes in one thing. And so we've done that now with four of our branches and Brooklyn will be our fifth branch to undergo the transformation. I think at the end of the day, and even though we're talking today over technology for this interview rather than actually at one of your bank offices, but I think people do still like to, to see somebody, don't they? And and also, this is one of the most important things in our lives is our finances. And to be able to actually do that with a person, it shows that people, that is clearly what people still want. It definitely is. is. And I have to say, we were a little bit nervous when we 
we decided to embark on this transition. No one else, no other financial institution in our area had done it, but we did our research and we did our homework and we we had a transition plan and our customers absolutely love it. At first there, you know, there may have been some apprehension about sitting with the person that they were taking up too much time. But again, because the demographics have changed and a lot of customers are doing the standard transactions, just the basic transactions using technology now and doing things electronically, it gives our staff more time to do the face-to-face with the customers who need that extra one-on-one service. I think it's a great experience for customers and for our staff. They don't feel rushed. They can sit with a customer and take as long as it takes to, you know, to help them. Well, it's been great talking to you both. And as we say, congratulations and uh, happy 150th birthday to Jewett City Savings Bank. You're clearly doing something right and continuing to do something right, obviously, with the expansion rather than the reduction, which people who listen to this will be very glad to hear. And you never know, you might be getting a few new customers once they know that uh, obviously there is a bank that actually still cares about people. It's been great talking to you both. And thank you for sparing us the time. Mike Alberts, President and CEO, and Diana Rose, Senior Vice President of Jewett City Savings Bank. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you, brother. And to find out what locations, services and resources Jewett City Savings Bank has on offer for individuals and businesses, visit their website at jcsbank.com. Connecticut East This Week is made possible by Nutmeg Pharmacy, your local independent pharmacy serving Higginham, Moodis, Centerbrook and Taftville, reminding you to get your flu, RSV and COVID vaccines now and protect you and your family. Open seven days a week with free local delivery. Find your nearest Nutmeg Pharmacy at nutmegpharmacy.com. And join Healing Therapies through sharing for their annual Holiday Magic and Poinsettia sale on November 25th from 10am to 1pm at 83 Boston Post Road, Waterford, raising essential funds for those with a cancer diagnosis. Decorate your holiday and Christmas season and help out a worthy cause. Event details and other ways to help can be found at healingtherapiesct.org. Substance use disorder and addiction is so isolating. And so as a black woman in recovery, hope must be loud. It grows louder when you ask for help and you're vulnerable. It is the thread that lets you know that no matter what happens, you will be okay. When we learn the power of hope, recovery is possible. Find out how at startwithhope.com. Brought to you by the National Council for Mental Wellbeing, Shatterproof, and the Ad Council. Time now for a look at other stories making the headlines this week. Governor Lamont announced his nomination for the next commissioner of the state's Department of Economic and Community Development in downtown New London recently, saying the city has transformed itself more than any other in the state. Lamont named Daniel O'Keefe, the state's first chief innovation officer, to succeed Commissioner Alexander Dom, who will now take up a new job with Yale University in early 2024. Dom says she has enjoyed her role as commissioner over the past year but said it has been terrifying at times, but in a good way. A good responsibility. And the best day every couple months is when I get to sit down with the capital projects team and 
go through the applications that we have and figure out which are the ones that are going to make the biggest impact on their community. Or when we leave a business and we know that we have the opportunity to possibly get them to add more jobs, expand, add more capital, but it's going to be a, you know, we're going to really have to give them the sell. I really have relished those responsibilities. O'Keefe is a veteran technology investor with 25 years experience and says that, twinned with advice from his mum about listening to others, always asking questions and being optimistic will help him in his new role. Our people and our companies are seeking the same thing. They're seeking vibrancy. They want to live and work in diverse, dynamic communities. And that is the work of the DECD. With continued smart investments, supporting historic preservation in the arts, in our economy, in our communities and in our cities, we embrace our past while we invest in our future. Lamont's nomination of O'Keefe will go to the Connecticut General Assembly for their advice and consent at the start of the 2024 regular legislative session, which starts in February. Energy companies Orsted and Eversource have cemented a partnership with the University of Connecticut to undertake a multi-year fisheries research program to understand the impact of offshore wind farms on marine ecosystems. The study has been financed by the two companies with a $1.25 million grant to Yukon at their Avery Point campus. Dr. Evan Ward is Professor and Marine Sciences Department Head at Avery Point and said the school brings a wealth of expertise to the project. Multidisciplinary faculty whose work focuses on human interactions with the environment and they work across a range of physical, chemical and biological processes. It also includes our 90-foot research vessel, the RV Connecticut, autonomous underwater vehicles, deployable sensors, state-of-the-art analytical laboratories, and advanced numerical modeling capabilities. Heather Summers is state senator for the 18th District and sits on the state's Environmental Standards Committee for Offshore Wind and said although she's pleased to see the two companies being good community partners, she's also a voice for the local fishing industry and looking after their needs. I also represent the last commercial fishing fleet here in Connecticut and they're very concerned about the impacts of offshore wind. This research and the study of the habitat of fisheries will really help them and help us move forward together in collaborating where wind and fisheries can coexist in a positive way. The new partnership will join two others in the state financed by the two energy companies with Project Oceanology, who are undertaking research and creating learning materials and experiences for students K-12, and with Mystic Aquarium, who are looking at the effects of offshore wind turbines on marine mammals and sea turtles in a first-of-its-kind-in-the-nation study. Connecticut College has been undertaking a geophysical study on part of its sports campus to see whether there are more remains of an indigenous settlement there. In 1981, a burial ground was inadvertently uncovered at the school's lower athletic field on the banks of the River Thames. Dr. David Leslie is from a company called TerraSearch Geophysical and has been using high-tech tools to scan the area. We don't know if any other indigenous sites or activity or burials exist on this landform, and so Connecticut College has been working with the Connecticut State Historic Preservation Office to find a way to least invasively map these remains to see if they are here. That's what we're doing, using geophysical methods, including ground-penetrating radar and magnetometry, which are two different but complementary methods that allow us to sort of see beneath the soil. The project is led by the college's associate professor of anthropology and college archaeologist, along with a small team of undergraduate students. Francis Sessanaya is a student at Kong College majoring in anthropology and says archaeology has come a long way from just digging things up. Archaeology 
technology can sometimes kind of destructive and with this it allows us to be like less destructive and it allows us to really do the things that we want to do or need to do without potentially harming somebody's culture and leaving another harmful lasting impact. The results from the survey will allow the school to map any sacred areas and avoid them in the future when undertaking maintenance or building work on the campus site. The Connecticut National Guard Foundation has kicked off its 22nd annual Operation ELF, Embracing Lonely Families, to support Connecticut service members and their families. Operation ELF, established in 2001, supports military families enduring the hardships caused by the deployment of family members. ELF helps lessen the financial stresses military families face from the core to active duty and is designed to support families whose loved ones are deployed, preparing to deploy within the next six months or recently returned from deployment. Approximately 120 Connecticut National Guardsmen are currently deployed to operations around the globe, with most operating in the Middle East. Community members can donate gifts, toys, groceries and other items before the final day and drop-off period of Monday 4th of December. Details on how, what and where you can donate can be found online at ctngfi.org or you can call 800-858-2677. And advocates in the Wyndham United to Save Our Healthcare Coalition gathered at the state capitol recently to mark two years since the state's regulatory review on the future of their community hospital's maternity services. A flashlight vigil commemorated the 2021 Certificate of Need hearing on Hartford Healthcare's closure of the labour and delivery ward at Wyndham Community Memorial Hospital. Coalition advocates have been calling for full restoration of services since the unit was shuttered. Hartford Healthcare executives officially filed for approval to terminate the hospital's labour and delivery services back in September of 2020. Advocates say now for more than three years, the area's mothers and babies have been forced to seek inpatient obstetric services at facilities far from their homes and believe they are being put at unnecessary personal risk. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at connecticut-east.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East this week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East this week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott Smith. Thank you for listening.